you've watched our empowerment bookstore, we've got a phenomenal author, Miss Morgan. Hey, how you doing? So everybody, real quick. Yes, we can hear everybody. I love it. I love it. I love it. Phenomenal. You know, we always have some kinds of text issues um, at some point because technology is what it is. It is Today, what it is. That's right. <laughs> we're talking about mental health in the Black community, um, which, again, revolves a lot around finance. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. What about you, Brother Zumbi? One of. Fair enough. So, like I said... For the show, we're talking about mental health in the Black community. Morgan, what's your standpoint on it? So, um, you know, the greats say more money, more problems, right? <laughs> and I do think that that statement is kind of used wrong. I think that the more money we have, the we have different problems. But I think the problems that come with not having financial freedom and not having financial stability are extremely demanding on your mental health um and so i think that the less money you have the more problems you have and the more money you have some different problems come along with it Ooh. what say you brothers and do you agree with that from a financial standpoint i guess you would say there's two problems uh too little and too much uh hmm. most of us suffer from too little money and I guess I'm going to talk more from uh, a man's perspective. When he lacks the sufficient amount of resources uh, to be an adequate producer, provider, and protector of his village, um, the psycho-spiritual effects on him, um, they're, they're hard to put into words. But if you ever talk to a man who has been homeless or is homeless, uh, his inability to provide shelter for himself, uh, it does something to him. Okay. Because he lacks whatever resources are necessary to provide his own shelter. We're just talking just for himself, not family, but just for himself. And and, and just being able to acquire resources, uh, it seems to be, for lack of a better term, a war in and of itself, particularly for African men. When you don't own a control uh, means of production and you have to rely on other men to provide you with a check so you can take care of your family, uh, it, it does something to you. Uh, it, it takes away from you as a man. It takes something away from you in terms of your sovereignty. Okay. So like I said, that that's just from a man's perspective. Now we talk about this a lot in terms of barriers. Uh, Morgan and I talked about this on the empowerment bookstore and it was more of a cultural standpoint, the, the words you like to use in terms of, what our upbringing is, what we've seen, what we've been allowed to experience um, or engage in experiencing. So you're saying as a black man, it's a lot different. And in Raising Sons, I can agree with you. I've never been a black man. I've only watched from the outside looking in. And it's been a traumatic experience, but different trauma for me watching these things happen to my brothers, whether they're biological or otherwise. So 
what are some barriers that we have um, that kind of lead to this? Well, the number one barrier that that must be acknowledged is racism, white imperialism. Right off the bat. OK, and, you know, I'm going to take a little page from our ancestor, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. Uh, for those who may be familiar with her Cress theory of color confrontation and her uh, classic read the ISIS papers, the one thing she always talks about is the man who poses the greatest threat to this system mistakenly called racism, white supremacy, the greater the oppression. Okay. So if I can pose a threat to you in the boardroom, you're going to do anything and everything in your power to ensure that I can't act out what nature built me to be as a man. Hmm. Okay. Which is why if you look in the, um, in, in the animal kingdom, the one thing that you do, if you're a male and you take over someone else's clan or pride or whatever, you make sure you eliminate the potential for the seeds to gain revenge. Okay. So it's like that old, old uh, line in the Bob Marley's I shot the sheriff, you know, every time I plant a seed to kill it before it grows. Okay, so you have to make sure that whoever poses a threat to your hegemony never reaches full maturity hmm. to do that. And that includes, uh, you know, and that includes economics. Okay, and that includes being, uh, being sane and, you know, trying to be sane African sane in an insane incubator called America. Okay. That is a challenge in and of itself. Now you're absolutely right. I believe it was James Baldwin who says to be Negro in America means to be somewhat frustrated or in anger at all times. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, on some level, you are always enraged. You may not express it externally, but the rage is there. And so that's why when you are in a perpetual state of rage, you always have these escape hatches, uh, whether it be Hennessy, whether it be the pipe, whether it be the church, you know, it's like that Bob Deep song, Drink Away the Pain. Ooh. Okay. So you are always given something to make you, as Malcolm would say, suffer peacefully. Oh, Maya Angelou is quoted the same. Uh, she says something to the regard of, if you don't speak up, they'll kill you and tell you you were proud about it. You were happy to go through it. I think it's also important to note that there's a constant competition, um, mm. whether it be a black man trying to compete to be considered equal with white men in the workplace or as business owners. And then there's also the, the competition of being a black woman 
um, and trying to compete with uh, everybody, <laughs> right. right? A black man, a white woman, a white man, um, really being like the bottom of the totem pole. And especially in today's uh, day and age where we're really fighting to be seen as equals and fighting to be acknowledged as able to do just as much as everyone else. So that same feeling of being inferior or inadequacy with any type of setback or challenge still exists uh, while combating any types of pay gaps that exist, while combating any types of opportunity gaps that exist. And so I think it's it's it truly is a barrier that has to be recognized. And more importantly, it's a barrier where we have to educate each other on the resources to cope and deal with it so that we don't revert to some of the things that were just mentioned. I love it. But so you mentioned equal, right? Uh, do you still believe equality or equity? So whenever I think of equity, I think of um, an image that I studied when receiving my DEI certification from Cornell. And in this image, there is a fence, like a wooden picket fence. And there is um, a person that's trying to look over the fence on one side. The person is tall enough to look over without any assistance. On the other side of the fence, the person is not tall enough to look over without assistance. And it shows a hole being cut in the fence. And that hole allows them to peep through, which we would consider to be, okay, now it's equal. We can we can see through. Um, but equity is a step stool provided so that they can see through at the same perspective and at the same height as the person who's able to see over the fence without any assistance. Um, and so I do think that equity is what comes into, into play, right? Where we are leveling the playing field for all parties to have the same opportunities. And that has to come at the sacrifice of some person, whether it be a person who looks like you or someone who does not. Interesting. I like it. Which say you, uh, Brother Zumbi, equity or equality? It's, it's really more of a case of power. Uh, the, the, honorable Mar uh, the Honorable Marcus Garvey would say that the only argument that satisfies man is power. You know, not love, not unity, not peace, but power. Having the ability to do for self, having the ability to defend self from others. So it's really a case of power the powerful versus the powerless, okay? So I think once, once you address the power issue, then the equality versus equity ultimately takes care of itself, but it really becomes a case of power. Do I have the ability to go and do for self without uh, barriers? Or do I have the power to overcome those barriers uh, that that are in front of me? Okay, mm. uh, I, I'll give you an example. You All know, right. one of one of my favorite movies is Harlem Nights, and there's a scene where uh, the crooked cop Danny Aiello uh, is in the office with Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy, and he's trying to figure out how is it that he 
as a white cop, I'm tied into organized crime. You know, I'm tied into all this quote unquote power. But then when I see you two who are supposed to be the scum of the earth doing better than me, and I have all these connections and I'm still living in a hovel. Okay. That, that, that tips the scale because the brothers were able to figure out a way to navigate through the barriers and create a power base of their own. Hmm. Okay. So, so I've always said it's really a case of power. I like it. And uh, for those of you, you know, we always drop books on, on every show. 48 Laws of Power is one that is a must read for everybody because there are universal laws that dictate everything, regardless of what you may believe emotionally or otherwise. If you study those laws, you'll be able to move maneuver throughout this world a lot better. So we talked a little bit about some of the barriers. Uh, Morgan, we talked a lot about the, the men. What about the women? What what barriers have you found? Now, I know your background is different. I know you look brown skin. A lot of people may assume uh, trauma laden and blah, blah, blah. But that's not the case for you. But you still, because you live in this world, experience things. Oh, yeah. What, I, what I think that every black and brown person experiences trauma, whether you grew up in poverty or not, um, may determine what some of that trauma looks like. But I don't think there is any black person in America who can say I grew up experiencing no trauma. Um, for me, uh, being the black girl at the white school, there is certainly trauma. OK, you know, being the being the only black face on the on the corporate team, trauma. Um, all of those things come with experiences of, of, you know, battling that feeling of equal that we just talked about. Um, but, you know, since we're taking the perspective of, you know, men as according to how they they feel challenged in this space and women um, from the woman's perspective or from my perspective as a woman, it's always the battle to be able to say, well, I can do it, too. Oh, you made six figures. We can do it, too. But we do it with a different set of boundaries or barriers that we have to to overcome. Um, and and I think that it is truly one that's kind of overlooked. You know, we know that a pay gap exists. Um, but when we talk about power and how that comes into play, you know, a lot of times women in power, especially black women in power, are viewed to be aggressive, um, bitchy mean, um, uh, taking everyone out in their path. And it's in the same stigma can occur in entrepreneurship. But for men, it's that, oh, he has tenacity. He has courage. People listen to him. He's authoritative. An authoritative black woman is often seen as an aggressor. Um, so, so I think those are some of the biggest barriers that we have to break as women um in especially black women it is a challenge and and when we talk about recognizing barriers until we recognize and acknowledge that those stigmas exist um we can't break that barrier down another that i find to be extremely impact that that has a huge impact in our community and sometimes isn't discussed as much is this pretty privilege i don't know how much you've talked about that on previous episodes he's on it <laughs> yes um as if it is a privilege to be 
a pretty woman, whatever that means, by the way, because who determines what this pretty is? Am I pretty? Maybe to somebody <laughs> I am and maybe to someone else I'm not. But it, okay. is, it is a stigma that if you are considered to be an attractive woman, usually attractive to men who get to create this standard of pretty that exists, right? Um, if you are pretty, then you have a privilege of accomplishing things easier than those who are not. Um, and I think that's another barrier that from a woman's perspective, we are faced with that men do not so frequently have to combat, even though they do as well, but not so frequently. Hmm. Girl, and you know, when I met you, I was like, yo, I want to bring Bougie back because again, my life has been as such. We, as beautiful women, get talked down to a lot. Uh, a lot of us try, they, they try to humble us for being such a thing so much that we're almost afraid to be our natural, beautiful selves, which then in turn makes us these shells, like fearful beings walking in the world like, oh my God, please don't please don't look at me. Please don't talk yeah. to me. Please don't. I have nothing worth of value because now you diminish my whole character to the blessing of this body that God has gave me. And now I can't even, I can't run from it because I live in it. Correct. And, and, you know, it's this, it's this fine line that you have to balance. You don't want to be too pretty because then you're targeted, um, you know, in, in so many ways. But then if you're not pretty enough, you're denied opportunities. You know, what type of concept is this? Um, and so to the topic, when we talk about recognizing and breaking barriers, I don't think that we can break them without recognizing them. And we have to recognize that Black women face and combat this issue of pretty privilege far too frequently. Right. Um, and that we just have to diminish that mindset. And it ends up being in any kind of way enslavement. What the brother was saying, what the sister was saying, <laughs> yes. we end up being mentally enslaved to either the money, the lack there of money, the, the mentality, uh, the stigma. How, how do we get over that? How do we cope with those things? I, I, I usually don't use the word cope. Um, my my thing is how do you like i said how do you overcome it how do you get over it how do you get around it how do you get through it okay because coping and victory to me are not synonymous they they don't mix okay so i think for for african people you have to change the inner dialogue okay the inner dialogue has to go from survival to living it has to go from competing to and, and i'm kind of using sports terminology with my background from competing to dominating hmm. okay and like i said I'll, I'll give you an example for for me um having you know played football wrestling track there's a certain mentality that comes with each sport that you must possess. Okay. Part of the barriers that I've had to deal with, I've had to deal with other brothers who have had similar skill sets as mine, 
I've had to deal with other athletes who were, let's say, pharmaceutically enhanced hmm. and having to overcome that. And when I faced that challenge, okay, I said, I knew that I wasn't going to rely on any pharmaceutical enhancement. So I had to take a different approach. How do I change the way I think, the way I train, the way I eat, the way I rest? Mm -hmm. And so by gaining a better understanding of that, I was able to overcome, you know, those other uh, athletes, those other opponents, if you will. And those who were, uh, who had the financial resources for their pharmaceutical enhancements couldn't understand how I was able to overcome what they had. You see, so it's really about, and I think the the um, the advantage that African people have always had, they've always historically have had a guerrilla mentality. And I mean, G-U-E-R-R, guerrilla. Okay, because we may not have the most sophisticated tools okay but we do have a an indomitable spirit you know uh carl von clausewitz in his book on war he says human will is indefensible so when you have an indomitable will to overcome it's very difficult damn near impossible to beat a man who is determined to win and I think African people have always historically have had that indomitable, uh, indefensible human will to overcome. Okay. I like it. The, the will to overcome. One, will your soul is your mind, body, your willpower to exceed wherever you're at mentally and to continue to go forward. It can also be considered, I think, courage, uh, willpower, strength, motivation, discipline. Those are words that I would use to define it, uh, but all are encapsulated, like you said, in this book on war by a, a mindset. So how a, do we... A mindset a mindset and a spirit. Ooh. You see, there's, there's uh, you know, everyone talks about mental toughness, but no one talks about spiritual toughness. Fair okay. enough. Uh, and what I mean by spiritual toughness, you know, we always talk about uh, if you have a pot of boiling water, if you stick a potato in it, it turns to mush. You stick an egg, it becomes hard boiled. That's right. So what is what has been within us that has been able to overcome the external pressures that have been put on us? It's like external forces but yet there is an internal power that we possess to where we have always overcome. You know, mm. what was it about a Madam C.J. Walker to overcome her humble beginnings in Louisiana post-Civil War to become one of our first millionaires? Okay, what got a Maggie L. Walker to become the first female, not just Black female, but the first right. female to... Yeah, to own her own bank at the beginning of the 20th century, you see. So, so there is something within us, uh, an internal, as Dick Gregory would say, internal universal God force that has always 
kept us in some form of sanity to overcome this toxic incubator we've had to navigate since the fall of the Moors. I like what you just said, the internal universal God force. Ooh. And like I said before, it's the, the spirit of the living God, depending on your denomination, your background, your personal belief, call it what you want, spirit, universe, God, Allah, whatever. That is the thing that I believe if it got his tribe believes and supports is the thing that you know we're experiencing. We just put on this meat show to live on this earth because just like if I go to space, I need a space suit. This is my earth suit. <laughs> mm. So you broke yourself free. Morgan broke herself free. I broke myself free. How how what three things can you both give to the people watching YouTube, Facebook Live to break? from their own mental freedom to, to that, that mental enslavement that they have. I'd be happy to speak to that. I think that um, we as the black community have to progress to the place where we accept um, mental health therapy is a part of our essential healthcare. Um, and, and that can come in many different forms in many different ways. Um, there are a lot of people who believe that mental health therapy is opposite of religion and that it is um, opposite of seeking therapy through God. And I absolutely do not agree with that. I have an amazing therapist who happens to be Christian just as I. And the therapy that she provides me is of the Christian faith. She provides me with scriptures to read. She provides me with resources that align with my beliefs. And that absolutely can exist in a healthy way. Many churches have mental health facilities and mental health resources within their church. I think that we have to break away from thinking that catering to your mental health is um, a privilege that we should not all have. I think just like we go to the dentist and we go to the doctor and get a physical exam, we should be taking care of our mental health as well with a professional. That is number one. I agree. What about you, brother? You know, I heard a metaphysical minister once said that there's nothing wrong with us, but something has happened to us. Okay. Mm. And I think, uh, and, and really through no fault of our own, I think we have taken on the uh, blaming the victim. Okay. There are things that are beyond us that are not our fault. Okay. But it is our responsibility to uh, take care of our sanity. You know, it is our responsibility. And, and I think one of the things that uh, can be done is There, there must be periods of time where you are in complete silence. Mm. Okay. I think we've become addicted to noise and we need time to be in complete silence. So that way we can mentally heal. You know, I don't think we give ourselves uh, enough time to just unplug and just be and be still because that's 
you know, a lot of times the best way I can describe it is many of us who have a spiritual life pray, but we don't meditate. Mm, Amen. Okay. We're always praying to whatever entity you call it, but we never take the time to meditate and listen to the response. Ah, say that. Say that. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. (laughs) So I will pray all day. (laughs) You know, because we we never take the time to listen to the response. Mm -hmm. So I think having that quiet time that can allow us to heal, allow us to recharge, allow us to focus. You know, there have been studies done on meditation to where the benefits operate at not just a physical level, but a mental, uh, the mental benefits, emotional, spiritual benefits. Uh, One of the benefits, you know, I was talking with a former uh, deputy chief of police here in Albany. I told him, I said, look, if you engage in meditation for 15 minutes a day over a 30 day period, you may be able to give up your high blood pressure meds. He's like, what? Mm. I said, yeah. You know. Ooh. So it's not just it's not just being silent, but it's also the practice of breathing and clearing your mind. So I pulled up this thing because I love silence. Like as a kid, I still think I love silence as a kid because I was always outside in nature. Um, as an adult having children, I really understand what the old folks say now about the power of silence. Like, oh my God, I don't have to listen to nothing. I don't have to hear anything. And this quote that I found uh, from a Harvard Business Review, it says, being silent allows us to channel our energies. It gives us the clarity we need to calmly face challenges and uncertainty. The hour of silence, and, and if you are, again, depending on your demographic, your deities that you serve they call it the power hour some people say i got i gotta go to my prayer corner for my power hour to sit in conversation but both of you pointed out something very very powerful in conversation and we learn this amongst ourselves nobody actually knows how to listen there we go you know what i'm gonna keep it real because i know no other way to be um this is something that i truly struggle with I I do not want to sit in silence. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I fill every single waking moment of my day with noise of some sort. Like um, I will listen to music. I will have on a podcast. I will listen to an audio book. I am always occupied. Mm. Um, And and it's not even just, just, you know, physically listening to something, but even metaphorically. Like I'm, I'm never still. It's, it's it's always something happening now, and like I said in response, I'll I'll pray all day, but that stopping to listen part is a part of my spiritual journey that I'm still on, because oh. when you stop to listen, sometimes you hear some things that you're not quite ready to hear, and it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. You you start hearing what you need to change. You start hearing, like we said, playing the victim. Right? It's easy mm-hmm. to say. These are all the outside forces that have made things challenging for me. These are all the outside forces that have made that the barriers, right, that we've recognized. But it's hard to stop and listen to more again. This is what you need to do differently. Ooh. This is where you need to pause. Did you handle this the right way? Did you sow into this person in this moment or did you deflect? 
that's when you start hearing that feedback from God. And that's hard to hear. Right. <laughs> so sometimes that silence is hard to get to. And most people do. I mean, that's that's the whole thing of money and racism. Right. We uh, like every other race get a lot of money. We know that the black dollar is phenomenally, astronomically powerful. And yet because we don't listen, it's hard for us to read, see and hear. Our money just goes helter skelter. And then we often blame racism. Would you agree, brother? Well, I, I, I wouldn't make it that simplistic. Okay, I come think, on with it. I, I think we suffer uh, a lot from ignorance uh, in, in regards to what I call the science of beef being business, economics, entrepreneurship, and finance. So it's not so much about racism as it is about the ignorance of the science of money, okay? For those who subscribe to the Old Testament, uh, if you read Proverbs 16, uh, 17, 16, and I'm paraphrasing, it says, what good is it for a man to get money if he lacks a desire to learn how to manage and master it? Okay, uh, yeah, Proverbs 17 and si 17, 16 is, is the verse, okay? So I think for, uh, and one of the things I talk about when it comes to being a good manager, steward, master of money is your ability to develop systems and teams because this is how rich people think. And ultimately this is how the universe thinks. This is how the universe is built. It's built on systems and teams. So for example, uh, every time I get paid, there's a system I have already set up about how that money is to be distributed once it comes into my account. Okay, because when you develop systems and teams, it does one thing. It protects you from your emotions. Because the one thing I've learned in studying money over the years is that money is an emotional subject. And money has a way, money doesn't change you, but it will bring out what is inside of you. It doesn't change you, it reveals you. Now let's let's talk about that because there's a lot of black people, especially within the church, that have this impoverished mindset that, that they feel like I must struggle, therefore I cannot have an abundance of wealth because that goes against God. That means that somehow in life I've faltered if I have too much on this earth, I'm only supposed to suffer and wait until death. So it's a con game. What did Yeshua tell you? Yeshua came and says, look, I'm here to bring you life and to bring it more abundantly. He never mentioned the word poverty. Hmm. Okay. So there's a con game that, that has been run, not just on African people when it comes to, uh, money and prosperity, but across the board, okay, to where now you are, you know, in fact, I can't remember um, what the verse is, but it's in the Bible where it says, curse not the rich, okay? But the evil. 
Right. And, you right. know, our, our, our good ancestor, Reverend Ike, says, curse not the rich, because if you do, you guarantee you will never be one of us. Yeah. So you can't curse what you say you aspire to be. Ooh, Ecclesiastes 1020. Don't badmouth your leaders, not even under your breath, and don't abuse your betters, even in the privacy of your home. Loose talk has a way of getting picked up and spread around. Little birds drop the crumbs of your gossip far and wide. Sheesh, you ain't never lied. It's like ain't never lied. You know what I'm saying? You don't you don't play telephone because you know whatever I said by the time it get to you is most likely not gonna be what I said. Or just uh, a little drop of it, just enough to cause a problem. <laughs> correct, just enough to cause a problem. This is where we stop with the hearsay. This is where I tell my sons, hold on, hold on. You don't speak on your brother when he's not here. Go get him. And then y'all come and speak to each other in front of me. Yeah. Hmm. So we talked about racism, money, enslavement. But what about money and segregation? Because Morgan and I both went to, I went to a Catholic school. So I was for many, many years, eight years, one of maybe at any given time, three black faces. And I remember, and now as I get older, the stigmas, the, the, the microaggressions, that's the word for it. I didn't know it then. The microaggressions were so heavy that they carried on at least until my late 20s. And some of it I'm just now identifying as, oh, snap, I didn't realize that that too stopped me from doing this because of how you felt. Not about me, per se, but really about yourself. So... In my case, it's it's Caucasian teachers telling me, oh, well, you shouldn't excel at this, even though in every other year I have math, science, physics, those sorts of things. Um, why are you drawing women? Women don't look like that, even though I was actually hindsight drawing myself. I see it now when I look <laughs> back at the drawing. I'm like, oh, that, that's me. Growing that up. was me. <laughs> but so segregation did it make it better with the money did it make it um because we talked about last show um all the famous places that got bombed we got punished for success so how do we deal with this i absolutely think that segregation has made the wealth gap even greater um there was a, a study done I don't know if you want to call it a study. I think it was a study, even though he um, implemented some comedy with it. But Killer Mike tried to spend only a black dollar. I think it was for seven days. And it was the hardest thing ever. We, we don't have enough black resources in any community currently to only spend our money in black places. Um, and I think that that is a product of desegregation. I think that integrating our communities have made it even harder for the Black dollar to survive and remain to be Black. I will give you an example. Come on with it. If, you, if you're living in a Black neighborhood, do you think it's going to be easier for you or harder for you to keep your dollar Black through 10 transactions versus if you are in a predominantly white neighborhood? Of course, it's going to be harder. That's not a trick question. If our communities were black, we would keep our black dollar black through more transactions. Um, 
it's it, the barriers to entry for us are higher to own businesses um, in this area where we are the 757 um, we talk about how difficult it is for a small business to obtain a simple business license in comparison to other places that is a deterrent for people to own and operate legitimate businesses in this area and for that reason there's less places for you to spend your dollar and keep it black so i do think that segregation um, is one of the worst things that has happened to the retention of the black dollar um i i, I think the desegregation has caused for us to have even more of a challenge to keep the black dollar powerful hmm sheesh and what what i heard you talk about was redlining and they've done it amongst yeah. everything school districts housing complex uh community food you know what i'm saying they even did it here in virginia uh yeah. they started shutting down some of the best health food stores and started creating food deserts to where now in communities you know it's a black community easily because there's going to be what you can call it out what do you think is going to be in the community uh a liquor store a lottery place a cash checking place and tons and tons of junk food yeah i mean we've seen it in um norfolk virginia here in the past two years uh post pandemic there started to be um a bunch of black owned lounges bars restaurants um i would i wouldn't say necessarily nightclubs because that might take it a bit far um, opening near and on Granby Street. Uh, the city of Norfolk changed the uh, ABC laws and made there to be so much red tape to jump through that many of those Black-owned businesses um, ended up closing in, mm. in their infancy because they could not keep up. Now, I will be honest and say that some White-owned businesses closed as well, but not nearly as many. And this is just yet another example of redlining and how it impacts business ownership. And at the end of the day, that impacts our money, our Black dollar. That's um, right. And so those redlining practices absolutely still exist. Um, and they, they are a barrier and they are a hurdle. And I do think that desegregated and integrated communities caused that problem to be even more prevalent and even more of a challenge. Hmm. I'm looking up the quote. Uh, most, it's interesting how uh, a lot of people will talk about Martin Luther King in such high regards when he was living. Uh, that was not the same. Right. I remember specifically before integration happened, Martin Luther King said, and I quote, until we commit ourselves to ensuring the underclass is given justice and opportunity, we will continue to pep perpetuate the anger and violence that tears the soul, the soul of this nation. I fear I am integrating my people into a burning house. Now the house is on fire. <laughs> like I always say, the world is on fire. And like, what do we do? So Zilby, he's written a book. Morgan, you may not have known. He's going to be on the show too. He's written a book to help I us. I saw the goat, the goat. That's right, that's <laughs> right. So Zilby, this is my time in the show to tell you again, what 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 can we do to be or, or, or get back as a community? I know you have the, come on, tell us your pillars again. How can we get back to basics, I guess? <laughs> I, I guess the first thing is let's let's start with your self economics first. 
Okay. You know, we always want to talk about the group group economics, but let's focus on getting yourself economics or your own personal economy first. Let's start with the 10% solution, which is a dime out of every dollar is yours to keep. Okay. Because we, we need to activate the what I, what's called the law of magnetism whereas the more money you you save and accumulate the more you will attract and as you attract it now you must give that money an assignment or a job okay so accumulate the resources and then put the resources to work i know i'm talking uh simplistically for the sake of time but it all begins with start with your personal economy. You know, a dime out of every dollar is yours to keep. That's very simple. Okay. Acquire resources. And as you acquire the resources, give the resources a job. So then the resources will begin working for you. Uh, I know I mentioned this book earlier. Uh, in a previous show called The Money Code. Okay. And in that book, it actually gives a blueprint to where if you are employed right now, you are to give yourself no more than a 10-year window to straddle yourself off the job to where you are financially free and economically independent. Okay. So if you pick up the book, The Money Code, you will see that blueprint in there for you to follow. Ooh. Love it. Okay. Now, Morgan, you too have jumped off because he just said a 10-year plan to get out of corporate America and have your own finances to, you know, support your lifestyle. You did that in less than 10 years, right? I did, yes. So um, what what advice can you give to to the people? Uh, the, the advice that I give is that we have to be strategic. Um, my dad always makes this statement that um, you young, it's not time for you to eat your cake. Wait on it. Um, spend conservatively while you have that guaranteed income from whatever job it is that you worked super hard to get, um, as I know that you have. Um, put it away for you to be able to invest in a business or invest in anything that's going to feed you um, so that you can have that financial freedom. Many of us are working way too long to get to a point where we really can't even afford retirement, truly. You know, what What does your plan for yourself look like? Um, have you purchased any real estate in those years that you're in a corporate environment to make it your retirement plan? I say it to my husband all the time. I, I purchased my first property when I was 22 years old, I actually closed on that house on my 22nd birthday. That house is my retirement plan. That house will be well paid off by the time I am ready to retire. And if I don't want to live in it, which I, which I don't, but if I don't want to live in it, I can rent it out and make enough money for myself to live off of in my home that is also paid off by that time too. You know what I'm saying? We have to plan. Uh, we have to put strategy in place that allows us to have the financial freedom when we do reach those goals and opportunities. The first, we, the first thing that we do cannot be to fill up the wall 
with with white people's names on it. We got to pay ourselves first. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm going to go ahead and get my shoe with the white man's name on the bottom of it because I like the shoe. So I'm not going to sit here and flex in front of you. But I'm going to pay myself first by sowing seeds into my own life so that Mm. I can be free before I give all of my money to someone else's financial freedom. Correct. Correct. And since we're talking about it, we got a shout out to HR Green Book. If you're not in the Green Book, right, go to hrgreenbook.com. This is a shameless plug, right? If you're looking for any Black-owned business, right, any Black-owned business, whatever you can think of off the top of your mind, check there first, right? And if they're not there, tell them to go there and register and get on the site so that we can find you, right? It's, It's that time. It's that time now that we collectively, as a group of people, need to say, hey, I support you. We need to go the extra mile for one another to search out and find, to make our presence known and show, hey, I'm here. I exist. I have the knowledge. If you're looking how to jump out of the corporate ladder, Morgan's your girl. She can tell you everything that she's gone through. She can tell you, that is what I tell my kids. The only way to short cut life is to learn from other people's mistakes you don't have time we no longer have the time even if you feel like you have the time you do not have the time anymore to just keep making nonsensical mistakes when there's nothing new in the world um and of course once you've got that courage and that willpower then you can go and get uh minister zumbi's book and sit down and annotate and really figure out your strategy Right. Morgan will give you the confidence to be like, hey, I can do this. Let's do it and create the plan. Minister Zumbi has got the book to help you organize because that's that's a chapter in your book. Right. Order steps. It is. Yep. He's got the platform to order your steps even further. Now. We've talked about racism. We've talked about and I'm so it's so cool that I'm not the only one of the thought that integration was not the best thing for us no um, well let's let's call it a more accurate term okay. okay um it wasn't a civil rights movement it was a consumer rights movement oh man okay and it wasn't integration it was more of a silent hostile takeover mm. all right mm. because and and i'm using history as an example okay during that whole segregation and Jim Crow, we learned one thing that we could actually do for ourselves. And I use Negro League Baseball as an example. All right. That whole thing with Branch Rickey came and took Jackie Robinson out of the Negro Leagues had nothing to do with social justice. That was about the destruction of an independent black economic power base. Because what they learned was two things. Number one, Negro League Baseball, 20% of its fan base was white. Number two, they were more international than Major League Baseball. They were barnstorming all throughout Latin America. That's how we got our brother Roberto Clemente. Hmm. Okay. And he came through the Negro Leagues. I can show you a picture with him, Hank Aaron, and Willie Mays in the Negro Leagues before they all went to the majors, respectively, okay? And then you saw the dismantling, so it was really more of an acquisition. Hmm. 
because of the economics. They say, okay, you want to come up in our world, fine, but you're not bringing that economic power base with you. So we got diluted as that took place. Okay. Diluted versus integrated. I kind of like that. I like it too. so, So we got diluted. Look at our HBCU football players. Okay. So once you started and and you really saw the dismantling of it by 1970 okay when we were no longer going to alabama a&m it was alabama and auburn it was no longer grambling and southern it became lsu it was no longer fam it was no longer bethune cookman it became miami florida state university of florida okay And so now all of that talent is now locked up in power five conferences, not just football, but basketball and other sports as well. Okay. And I always hear people say as well, we need to, I said, look, I'm not going to ask an athlete to sacrifice his athletic career for what? Okay. Especially with the condition that the HBCUs are in now, Due to incompetence, corruption, uh, I can't. I can't ask an athlete to sacrifice his career when I know all that other stuff is going on. Okay, right, because that's his only way of source of income. Like you said in the beginning, if this is his mental bread and butter that allows him to feel human, how dare I take the one last inkling of humanity? And the oh. other thing is this: if if we're talking about producing quote unquote. Uh, culturally conscious or African-centered athletes, that has to begin in the womb. We can't wait until the money shows up. By then, it's too late. Right. And I I would say that's not just with athletes. That's with anything. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, we we can't expect everybody to... I look, I always make a statement. I hope the the beehive doesn't sting me. Uh, But I am not a Beyonce fan. I talk about it on my podcast, Seriously Mm -hmm. CEO. Um. You you can't you can't wait until you're a billionaire and then say I like my baby hair with baby hairs and afros, but you've been wearing blonde lace fronts your entire career. Oh, you, you, yeah. you can't you can't wait that long to like now we want to wake up and now we want to be woke and now we want that it doesn't work like that. And I love the way that you put it, brother, is to cultivate that from the womb and teach our children um, so that we're not playing catch up when it is that we do make it. That's right. And on the sidelines, just just to inform the audience, I've been showing you, he mentioned Jim Crow, and I wanted to show you the error in which he was speaking of and just a little bit of what was going on in that timeline. Now, one of the things that I really, really like to highlight in the Jim Crow era, it, we, it goes back to the soul of, of Black people, right? Through all of this, right? The murders, the, the heydays, this happens. Harlem Renaissance, right. where we, we buck completely on the system and we're like oh my god you want to see how great a people are let me show you you can take away everything and that's that's my our brand's major mission is to like you say cultivate it from the womb but for those that didn't get it from the room we're trying to bring it to you now live and in person to a platform that you can get very simply youtube that you can share just to be like hey somebody that looked like me told me I'm great. I deserve this. I deserve the work, the time, the effort that goes into all of this, the patience and everything. 
the discipline, the mindset and transforming it because that's the people that we come from. This show Fit to Heal is just a, a constant reminder that we are these people. I may not be Annie Allen, but I might look like her. And because I look like her, I have to remember that some part of her lives within me, that soul that he spoke of in the beginning. So we're coming close to time. I think we covered all the topics. We talked about um, segregation and money. We talked about racism and money, right? The biggest thing was the mental health in the black community. One, just breaking down barriers. We talked about a whole lot of different stigmas that are either placed on us or we place on ourselves. Either way, we accept them. Uh, like the sister Morgan said, once we acknowledge, right? Acknowledgement is key. Once we acknowledge that they exist, we can talk about the elephant in the room and begin to break it down and replace it. Again, now I'm gonna let you two shout yourselves out real quick. Uh, ladies first. Yes. Tell us where we can find you. Um, and a little bit about how you can help the people. Cause you said you have your own podcast too. Let's hit it. Absolutely. So um, I can help the people in many different ways. I am a business coach. I am a motivational speaker. I am an author and a podcaster. My information can be found on www.thelusobrand.com. That's spelled L-U-S-S-O, thelusobrand.com. And you're able to access all of my services there, whether it be business coaching or purchasing an episode of my book, Leap Off the Ladder, or checking out my podcast or asking me to guest on one of yours, speaking to an organization, whatever it may be, all there on my website. You can also follow me on Instagram at LussoCEO. That's L-U-S-S-O-C-E-O. I love it. I love it. And she's so beautiful. Well, thank you. Don't you want, don't you want this power? female sitting across from you telling you what to do again you, you talked in the beginning about how a lot of people will stigmatize black women and be like oh my gosh she's bossy and she's aggressive but i like the word delegator and disciplined and consistent and proficient way better she's poised look at this i'm sorry sis this suit is phenomenal okay before before i gush too much because i get onto a whole nother sidetrack Come on, Brother Zumbi, tell us who you are, where we can find you, and how you can help the people. I'll start off by saying I'm a servant of African people. Um, you can find my book in your Melanated Bookstore or uh, via Amazon. Um, you can, and I'm still working my way into the 21st century, so I don't have all the uh, social media accoutrements as of yet. Uh, you can call me at area code 518-512-9972. Uh, uh, my email for the moment is libertyhallpress uh, at gmail.com. Uh, I am a business thought leader. Uh, I have developed business models, business plans, uh, have been an advisor uh, to businesses. Uh, as mentioned before, I have gone into the publishing arena by publishing my first of many books. And one thing that I wanted to mention, uh, to put it in the record, another barrier that we have to also get over 
is the epigenetics. And here's what I mean. Uh, Ida B. Wells Barnett, who actually had her own uh, newsletter, uh, did some research and discovered that of all the Black folks who got lynched in America, uh, over 80% of them were business owners and entrepreneurs. Okay. So when we look at that, what has been the uh, multi-generational ramifications of that? You know, is it something uh, within us to where if we try to build something, is there an epigenetic fear that someone will come and tear it down, i.e. Uh, Tulsa, Rosewood, Durham, or any of the other uh, what I would like to call Quilombos that existed during the early part of the 20th century. So I think there's an epigenetic barrier that we must overcome to say that uh, if we build something, we also know how to protect it. Amen. Right. Correct. It cannot just be if you build it, they will come. Um, because as I showed really quickly, uh, buck breaking, right? If you've ever read the Willie Lynch theory, the letter, it is a scientific method in which they have produced these results that would last centuries if we allow them mentally. So what the brother said was real, real deep. We have to be willing to release that victim mentality that somebody, the man or whoever you want to call it, is going to come and get you. Because the beauty, and I'm going to find the picture, the beauty is if we collectively stand up together next to each other, like the song said, lean on me, right? We'll all be stronger for it. So now I guess I get to do mine. Yes? Hold on. I'm going to put myself up here. Hey! Hey, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. You have been listening to our broadcast, Fit to Heal, and we tune in every Monday at 7.15 where we bring on phenomenal people in our community, local and near and far, to discuss how we can change, not only change, but transform ourselves mentally, physically, and emotionally. We hope that you will be here again next Monday. Don't forget to share this link. We were live today, but it's still showing on YouTube and Facebook. Please get the... Um, Get the message, pass the message, spread the word. And don't forget, when you watch the show, have your notebook. Because we're always dropping books. We're always dropping knowledge. I hope to see you again soon. And we'll check you again next week. Peace.